Good morning. Please turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. The Acts of the Apostles, chapter 14. Last time, if you remember, we covered the first 18 verses of the chapter. Paul and Barnabas, upon arriving in Iconium, they go to the synagogue and preach Jesus, as they have has been their habit to do. Many people, we are told, both Jews and Greeks, believed the gospel by the foolishness of preaching. But unbelieving Jews, quote, poisoned the minds of those hearers, the ones who were listening, not quite sure yet. Unbelieving Jews, jealous Jews, poisoned their mind against the apostles. And the text says, so the apostles remained a long time and continued to try to persuade them to be reconciled to God in Jesus. In the face of opposition, not violent opposition, mental opposition, an active poisoning by their opponents. They, they didn't leave, in this case, or shake the dust off their feet yet, but stayed there a long time and tried to reason with them and tried to persuade them. And the text says they performed signs and wonders during that time without giving us details about what those signs and wonders were. And there was not a consensus among the people. Some believed the poison that had been told them and saw the apostles as troublemakers and enemies of true Judaism. Others see them as messengers sent from God. They don't know yet. There's, there's no consensus. Chapter 14, verse 4. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And again, this is a repetitive pattern, I know, but this is the word of God. They could not prevail over them with arguments. They can't compete with them in power. God's spirit is upon them, in them. They result, they resort to violence. We can't beat them in a debate. It's obvious they have power that we don't understand. We'll just hurt their bodies. They plan to stone them, which would likely result in their deaths. And the apostles learn of the plot somehow. We don't know how, but God is sovereign. A little birdie can fly to their ear and speak to them in English if God wishes it to. Right? We've seen this before where animals speak. They learn of the plot and fled Iconium and go to Lystra. We'll find this out later, but this is the hometown of Timothy. They didn't just run away and hide. They go to the next city. Remember, they've been sent. They've been appointed and sent out from um, the church Antioch in Syria to do this work. Yes, they've been threatened. They're going on to the next town. 
They continue in the mission that they've been sent out to do, which is to preach the gospel. In Lystra, if you remember, God does a miracle there. Through Paul, a crippled man born this way is healed. He didn't get into an accident. He was born this way, and he is healed. And the people are confused. They've never seen such a thing. They rightly conclude these are special dudes. They wrongly decide they're going to worship them as they are normally doing, right? They are idolaters. They have, this is common practice. They fall into what they know, which is idolatry. They suppose that they are either Zeus or Hermes or both of them come down in the likeness of men, the scripture says. But listen, I think it's ironic that they think that because it's Jesus, remember, our great God and Savior who came down in the appearance in the likeness of men. Right? Philippians chapter 2. Jesus came down and quote, the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Not Paul, not Barnabas. And they, listen, they did not receive such praise and worship either. If we look in verses 14 through 17, they acted quickly. They tear their garments. They rush into the crowd. Stop this. We're just men. And they use it, though, as an opportunity to preach. They say, we're men. Turn away from this idolatry that you always have done and turn to a God who is actually alive. Not the idols of the nations that have eyes but can't see and ears but can't hear and arms and legs but have to be carried around. You see that? Verse 15, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made heaven and earth, or heaven, and in verse 17, he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. God allowed the idolatry. But they could have recognized his goodness in the midst of it, is Paul's message. And we'll see this again. He, he refines this message when we get to Acts chapter 17. But he said, God didn't leave himself without a witness. He's been blessing you. He's been giving you rain and harvest and gladness in your lives. They happen by the power of God, not by the idols that you've worshipped. And somewhat discouragingly, in verse 18, even after preaching this, the people still wanted to worship them. Even after forbidding them and giving them a clear revelation from God. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. 
Well, that brings us to today's text. We'll read until the end of the chapter. God willing, let's stand while we read the Word of God. Acts 14, 19 through 28. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed." Verse 24, when they had passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, or then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Amen. You may be seated. A lot has happened. These men are set apart by the Spirit to go on this great journey that they've been on. Verse 19, if you remember, the Jews in Antioch had opposed them, so they went on to Iconium. And the Jews at Iconium had opposed them, so they went on to Lystra. The Jews had turned the heathen against them, as we just read. Not, not in today's text, but before as they um, can't decide. After healing a man who was born crippled, they still can't decide, are these men legit or not? Should we trust them? Verse 19, The Jews that opposed them in Iconium and Antioch and turned the heathen against them are still after them. Isn't it telling about the fickle nature of man? These people that they had barely restrained from offering sacrifice to them. I mean, barely. This is, these are the gods who came down and just look like men. Now they've been persuaded that Paul is bad and they decide to kill him. I mean, this is a quick turnaround. And by the way, this, this isn't really brought up about this incident, but with no trial and Paul being a Roman citizen, is this legit? Just drag him out and stone him? I do not think it is legit. 
Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Listen, how bad does your condition have to be that people think you're dead? Bad, right? His condition must have been very poor. Unconscious, no sign of movement. They drag him out of town, he's dead. I mean, you think about the cruelty of this, what they intended to do. No trial, just drag him out and dump his body outside of town. No burial, nothing. Verse 20, the believers, this is unclear to me exactly what happened. When the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. Were they gathered around him to say their last respects? Was he dead? Did they think he was dead? Were they going to help him? It seems miraculous that he rises here. I mean, I'm pretty sure that they know how to stone people to death. It's common practice. Not only is he not dead, he rises and goes back into the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Now, before preparing for this, it never quite occurred to me exactly what's happening here. So he is just left for dead after taking a pelting. Not only is he not dead, but after resting for the night, he travels with Barnabas to a city that's 58 miles away. On foot. Does this seem unbelievable? He was almost dead. He rests for the night and then travels 58 miles. God healed him. God blessed him. God strengthened him and helped him. Verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city... So they, keep, they go on about what they've been doing. Listen, it is the right time for Christian to say... Why would God allow such a thing to happen? They're trying to do God's will. They are obeying the commandment of the Spirit who sent them out in the first place. And I know that we're very familiar with this in our church, and I believe we have a right theology about it. But for others who will listen to this, this idea that bad things don't happen to God's people is a lie. You tell me, is Jesus Christ God's man or not? Because a lot of bad things happened to him, and it was not because of sin. Jesus says, even a bird has a nest. I sleep on the ground outside. You really want to follow me? You think this is a, uh, a good time? It is, but not according to the flesh. According to the flesh, it's uncomfortable. Why does God allow this to happen to His people? 
And the answer, listen, I can't tell you every single reason, but it's a good one. You hear me? God is sovereign and His purposes are good. For the elect, for those who love God, He's working everything together for good. You might say, how can that be good? How can it be good that Christians are killed for their faith? I can't answer. I can give you what I think, but I can't answer that. But I can tell you that it's for good. Is that enough for you? Because it's very difficult, I understand. Many Christians for thousands of years have struggled with difficulties and trials and wondered why God would allow such things to happen to them. And they must come to a decision that I'm going to trust God. I don't understand what's going on, but I trust Him. He's my shepherd. He's not going to lead me in the wrong way. This is very difficult. But the apostles, having been chased out from town to town, and then finally threats of violence, having found Paul, and he is very... Um, he's so bad off that they think he's probably dead. They continue on to Derby, preach the gospel there. Many people turn from their sins. No, we have no idea if Paul was all bruised up and, and disfigured after being stoned like this. We don't know. But they do something very that's unexpected to me considering what they, Paul had just gone through and what they had been going through this whole time. They could, if you, if you look at a map later, you'll know what I'm saying. After being in Derby, they could have just kept going east on foot back to the Syrian church in Antioch. They didn't have to sail in the first place. If you look at a map, when they started the journey, the reason they sailed is because they wanted to go to Cyprus first, which is off the coast. But now that they're in Derby, the shortest way back would just be to keep walking east from Derby back to Antioch. But they don't do that. They return to the cities where they have just experienced this persecution and much opposition. Blessing too, right? Many are believing. But, I mean, the, the threats are not idle. They, they want to kill these apostles of God. And listen, this is verse 21 and 22. When they had preached the gospel of that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. They go in the strength and courage of the Lord back to the place where they've been chased out and, and they tried to kill Paul. And had plans to kill them both earlier. 
but they learned of the plot and escaped. They are not afraid to go back to those cities and continue strengthening the churches. They go in the strength and the courage of God because they want to strengthen and encourage those people who believe. They tell them they should expect trials and tribulations. Saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. You know this, and you've probably told your children this, and my parents told it to me, that almost nothing that's really good is easy. Have you, have you, have you told this to your kids? Did your parents tell it to you? Whatever it is that, if you want to excel in something, if you want to be an expert in something, it's not easy. It takes lots and lots and lots of practice and work and study. The kingdom of God is truly good. It is, but it's not easy. It is simple. A child can believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. But that doesn't mean that our faith is simple. It takes mature faith to understand that God is saving me. And whatever happens in this life, they're momentary and light afflictions compared to what we have waiting for us. Basking in the place where God's glory is the light. Good, we know, is usually accomplished by hard work and perseverance and patience and and as it relates to the kingdom of God, faith. Paul, in his letter, second letter to Timothy, he, he mentions this time period to him. Quote, you, however, he had been talking about people who were in opposition to him, deceivers and people who are deceived. He says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3, 10-12 Is it the word of God or not? Yes, in America, thank God that we don't experience the same persecution than they did that they did. Do you know why? Because the country has a lot of Christian principles. Do you know that? When people are just snatched up on the street and beaten, if they are witnesses, they are arrested and tried and taken off the street. There are reasons why in our country people can speak. And you might say, oh, we can't speak as freely as we want. Okay, fine. 
But we don't experience persecution the way that some countries do. Thank God for the blessing. Maybe you should speak more since you're not going to be stoned for it. What are you scared of? In the power of God, in the strength of the Spirit, these men go back to the same cities. They want to strengthen and encourage them and remind them, listen, trials and tribulations are part of it. If you want to live a godly life, you'll be persecuted. Not all persecution is the same, but you will be persecuted. Because the darkness hates the light and won't come to the light for fear that its deeds will be exposed. And those Christians who attempt to be cities on a hill and salt and light in the earth, evil wants to put it out, right? That light, yeah, it's not God exactly, but it's still kind of bright and it's still exposing what I don't want to be exposed. Verse 23, another reason they wanted to go back to those cities was to appoint elders in each church. Verse 23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They didn't wait. I think this is interesting. Are we following the pattern of the New Testament church in our church? In some ways, listen, part of the reason why our church structure is very simple is because we're trying to go back to the early church time. Not, Not immature faith, but simple. Hear the word of God, give thanks to God, sing to Him, and have fellowship with other believers. It's very simple. It's good. It's good. But they didn't wait very long to form official churches. Oh, you've got five believers who've been believers for a month? You're a church. And we need to appoint elders in this church too because churches need to have elders. That, does that seem very fast to us? People believe and they're baptized within hours or days, it seems, in the Scriptures. Are we following the pattern or not? Do we know more than they knew? Well, in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. But they didn't wait too long to form official churches and appoint elders. And they, listen, the emphasis is on plurality. Plurality of elders. More than one in each church. And I can testify it's been a blessing to me again and again that we have more than one in our church. Edward is my pastor and my preacher. And he blesses me again and again all the time. For many practical reasons, it's better. I'm not saying that if a church has one elder, they're sinning. But the pattern of the apostles is that they appointed multiple elders. And who did they appoint? These new Christians, who did they appoint? Whoever was the most mature or more mature, qualified, somebody who aspired to do the job. 
likely Jews, former Jews, who had more knowledge of the Scriptures. They appointed elders in every church with prayer and fasting. This is the second or third time we've seen this in Acts. Maybe more than that. When there's something really important to decide, the church feels the weight of it. It's really important, this decision. They pray and fast to seek the will of God. I think it's a good pattern when you have something in your life that's really important. I think it's a good pattern. Pray and fast. Seek the will of God. We should always seek the will of God, but there are times when we seek it more, and we ought to seek it more. And then we are told that they are left to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Can you imagine? They've gone to these places. They've preached the gospel to them. They've ordained elders who are not very long in their faith, right? I mean, at this point, there's not many Christians who've been Christians for very long. We think that this happened in like 46, 47 AD. So, you know, 15 to 20 years after Jesus. It's not that long. With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They're not going to be able to call them in a few days after they get back home. Do you remember this passage? Philippians chapter 2, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Paul has been with them and teaching them, but he can't stay with them. Now they have to put into practice the things that they were taught. They have to work it out. And Paul said, or the scripture tells us, Paul and Barnabas committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. He's the good shepherd of their souls anyway, isn't he? It must have been very difficult, though, to leave them. Verse 24, they go south from Antioch. This is the uh, Pisidia Pisidia version of Antioch. They go down to Perga. And if you remember, they had gone through the city before. And the text doesn't really tell us much at all, except that this is where John Mark left them and went back to Jerusalem. It doesn't say that they preached the first time, but this time they did preach there. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and they, they sail out from this city. And they don't stop in Cyprus on the way home. They just go straight back to Antioch, the Syrian version of Antioch. Um, They go back to their sending church. 
They go back home to their sending church. This church had uh, ordained them by the Spirit, sent them out. It's been a couple years, at least covered a couple years. They go back and they tell the church about everything that God did on the trip. Verse 27, when they arrived, well, 26, and from there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. I mean, let's, let's recap. So they went to Cyprus, Barnabas' home, Remember the proconsul believed even though there was a magician named Bar-Jesus that was trying to poison his mind? And they sailed across and went to Perga and Pamphylia and then to Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. And the Jews persecuted them in every city. But they just went to the next place led by the Spirit and in God's strength and later went back the same way to strengthen and encourage. And wouldn't it help the believers in that town to see that they came back, even though they had been persecuted? Would they have more courage than they had had before? That was their intention, was to strengthen them and encourage them. And one thing they told them after telling them everything that had happened is they said, God has opened a door for the Gentiles to believe. In all these cities, all these idolaters, there's a door open for Gentiles. When they hear the gospel, they are believing multitudes, many. Listen, that door that they speak of being open to the Gentiles is still open. 2,000 years later, God is blessing the Gentiles with the gospel. People are coming to faith. This room is full of Gentiles that have been saved by the grace of God because there's an open door for the Gentiles. Do you sense it? Do you, have you fallen to the skepticism of our day? Oh, woe is America. Used to be a nice place. God is saving people right now in your city. In your work. On your softball team. He's at work throughout the whole world. There is an open door for the Gentiles. Listen, I'm not emphasizing that the door is not open for Jews. It is open. The reason it's noteworthy is because they didn't realize how open it was for Gentiles. The door is open for Jews too. Any whom the Lord our God calls. Jews and Gentiles. So now that we know the door is open, the question is, what do you make of Jesus? Who is he? Is he alive? 
Is Jesus alive? If you believe he's alive, follow him. It's evidence God's at work in you. He is alive. He always lives to make intercession for his people. In order to make intercession, always you have to be alive. He's alive. Will you trust him? Even if it means trials and tribulations? Verse 28, and they remained no little time with the disciples. So after returning to their home church, telling them everything that had happened, I'm sure that there was a great time of fellowship and gladness and thanksgiving to God. And they stayed there not a short amount of time, but a while. And part of the reason we'll come to next time in chapter 15, I'm sure that this, if they had plans to leave, they didn't leave as soon as they had wanted to because of the events that come up next. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for blessing us with it. Thank you for helping us to read it. And Father, we confess that there are things that we may not understand the way we think we understand it in these accounts. And I pray you'd be merciful to me, Lord, if I've misspoken. But we pray that you'd bless us with faith Father, we want to believe. We confess that we, ha- we do have doubts, but Father, we pray that you'd help us by the power of the Spirit, that we would overcome doubt. Father, that we would forsake our sins completely, that we would cling to the Lord Jesus. He is the Good Shepherd. And Father, we pray that you'd Encourage us and give us a positive outlook for your work in the world. And help us to be ambassadors. And that we would compel the people to be reconciled to you through Christ. We pray you'd be with us the rest of our time today, Lord. Bless us, help us as we fellowship and and talk and, and the rest of our stuff. May you be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.